You're listening to The Catalyst with Samantha Chris, where we explore the inner workings of embracing the unknown, from ordinary daily habits to extraordinary measures. Get ready, we're about to ignite change and inspire action. Today, I'm joined by powerhouse voice and leadership coach and host of the Unleash Your Voice podcast, Danny Driuso. With an extensive background in performing arts and over six years in the personal development game, Danny has built her career around helping people take radical responsibility for their lives by embracing their humanness, loving their journey, and owning their extra. Danny's playful approach to personal development inspired her book, Get Off Your Ass and Into Your Life, an immersive experience that has moved countless of women to take action, overcome fear, and stop apologizing for living their dream life. Danny, welcome to The Catalyst. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for being here. This show, as you know, is all about change, and my guests and I usually talk about what they have or want to change, but I'd like to take this episode in a little bit of a different direction. I want to talk about how we need to stop changing and shape-shifting to accommodate the expectations of others, and I couldn't think of any better person to have this conversation with than you. Oh my gosh, I love that. Awesome. So what are some of the telltale signs that we're showing up for others rather than ourselves, in your opinion? A lot of the times I hear, well, I don't really know who I am. Mm. And I think that's the first sign is saying, I don't really know who I am. And it's so funny because I was talking to a client yesterday and she's like, it's just so frustrating. I just don't know who I am. And I started laughing because I'm like, well, it's not that you don't know who you are. If anyone knows who you are in this whole world, it's you. You're in your own body. You're living your own life. But you're waiting to be told who you are. And I think that's the first sign is when we kind of look to everyone around us and say, well, right now, I don't feel 100% safe in trusting who I am. So what is a way that I can feel safe? And normally when we reach for safety, it's love, acceptance, acknowledgement, recognition. Mm. And so we're trained to say, cool, I'm going to look at the environment around me. How can I get love? How can I get recognition? How can I get the gold star? And so people oftentimes it feels draining and very confusing. And I think that's the first step is like, if you are feeling confused and you don't know what to do or where to go next or what's happening next, and you feel restricted in that choice and decision because you just don't know and you're having anxiety or you're creating that chaotic energy. I always say, um, when we avoid making a decision, we create chaos. And the only answer to chaos and to create clarity is to make a decision. Because I we're kind that. of right. We're not hum and ha. We're like, I don't, I don't know what to do next. I don't know. And oftentimes that's just because we're not trusting ourselves and we're looking around ourselves to say, well, what's my next move? Can someone please tell me? Because I'm so used to looking around me for that recognition and for that admiration and love. Oh my gosh. This resonates in a way that I didn't think it would. (laughs) I love that. Yeah. I'm honestly someone who identifies as really confident, really self-aware. And in a recent career shift, I was looking outside, like externally for the answers. And it was, it all came down to indecision. It all came down to not being willing to put in the work, listen inward and say, what is it that I truly want? Who am I at this stage of my life? And what is it that would best serve me? 
Mm-hmm. And it's so funny that we go to our friends and we ask our friends and we go to our family, we ask our family and we go to colleagues and we ask our colleagues and the whole time we're just waiting for someone to tell us the right answer. But what's really interesting about that, and I'm so sorry for everyone who is a recovering people pleaser like myself in here that is just waiting for someone to tell you how to live your life so you can get it right, is that every time you go to someone and you ask for their opinion, you're asking for a whole other filtered world Mm -hmm. you you are literally asking someone who has never had your experiences who is not in the space that you are at right now who cannot understand where you're at they can empathize they can sympathize but they can't understand because they haven't lived your life to this point they don't have the experience they don't have the knowledge they don't have all the skills that you have. And so you're asking someone who has a completely different view on the world, completely different skill set, completely different understanding. And you're saying, can you try to look through my lens and tell me what to do? Mm-hmm. And they can't do that. So what do they do? They say, well, based on my experience, and that's when you have um, a really good example of this was when I built my first website, I created, it was all glittery. And it was, of course it was, it was all glittery and it was bright. And I showed my mom, mom, look, look at my website. And she looked at me and she said, I would never buy from that website. Mm. And I was crushed because I spent so long teaching myself how to make a WordPress website. I was so crushed because I was like, Oh, why not? Like, why wouldn't you buy from this? And she's like, well, I don't know if it's hundred percent professional. I don't know if like, this is something that I wouldn't, I would not buy from that. Mm. And then it took me a while to realize that yeah, thank God my mom wouldn't buy from that website because my mom's number one, not my ideal customer. (laughs) (laughs) Number two, it's not someone who I can 100% help. Like she's not my demographic. Like, thank God she does not want to buy from that website. That's so funny. Right? But in the moment you're like crushed because you want to go to someone and you want to say, here, I've tried so hard. Can you please tell me I'm on the right track? And it all comes back to self-trust and it's just a practice. Okay. I want to dig into self-trust a little bit because when I first met you and still to this day, you exude such confidence in who you are. And yet one of the first things I can remember you saying is that you had a degree in being other people. What do you mean by that? And you know, because I have my own interpretation of it and I'm sure there are listeners who can relate whether they have a drama degree or not, but this is something you know, one of the things that you've mentioned that has stuck with me for so long, because whether we've walked in your shoes or not, I think that recovering people pleaser you're talking about is, is apparent in a lot of us. Mm -hmm. Um, when I came out of the womb, I came out jazz hands first, I always say, (laughs) and I was like, yes, the world is amazing. And this loud ball of joy and who was very emotional and who had a lot of feelings, had a lot of passion. And I was born into a football family that was like, rub some dirt in it. And no one show emotions unless you're mad. <laughs> and that's the <laughs> emotion you're allowed to have is anger. And then you got to take it out on the field. And then you have me who's like, I don't want to play sports. I want to dress up and play Polly Pockets. And I want to like talk about our emotions and how can we better, like be better family members to each other and all that stuff. And clearly it was not welcome to the space that I was born in. <laughs> so at a really young age, I found solace. And I always say it's sacred safe or sacred space for my own self-expression is what I like to say in the theater world. And so at a really young age, I started studying acting and I started really basing my entire career, my entire life. If I didn't get love and affection and validation from my family, 
well, what better way to do that from my directors or from my colleagues or from getting that role, that lead role, or, or making sure I was the top candidate in the class who got straight A's and acting, like all this stuff. But what I really started to realize when I came out of the theater world, like I've only been out of the theater world for about four years now, is that I was seeking out admiration. I was seeking out approval from every single person around me. Every time that I walked into an audition room, it was, who do I need to be so that I can get this job? Every single time I walked into a first date, it was, who do I need to be so that you'll like me? Mm -hmm. Every single time I picked up a personal development book, it was, cool, how could this book tell me who I need to be so that I can be successful? And it was so much based on what role do I have to play in this moment so that I can get what I want? And that's manipulation. <laughs> I was trying to manipulate my whole system to finally feel safe in who I was because I didn't feel safe in who I was. And so it's ironic because coming out of that, I realized really quickly that every single thing that I learned in the theater space and the acting space and the film space, I tried to apply to my real life to try to fit to whatever standards and expectations of whatever room I was in, of whoever I was around. And I got really freaking good at it. Yeah, I have a BFA in acting, but I also have a full-on degree in being other people mm. for the approval of others. So how do you leave that in the acting class or on stage? How did you learn that this is who you had to be in that moment, but that there needed to be a Danny Druso in real life? Yeah, it was really funny because it actually, I wish... Sometimes I wish, well, everything happens for a reason, but sometimes I wish I could go back into those university classes or go back into those auditions with what I know now and who I am now and show up. Because what the coolest part about walking away from that whole environment and really going on this journey of like, okay, I'm not going to do this just to get a role. I'm not going to do this just to have people like me. Like I'm literally exhausted trying to figure out everyone's emotions, trying to micromanage everyone around me, trying to make sure that I'm doing the right thing all the time. I'm exhausted and I'm done. And when I kind of had that, um, like I'm done, I'm finished moment. That was when I really started to leverage my own strengths. And I remember walking into a voice class. This was about two years ago, I think. And I walked into a voice class with all my old acting friends and everyone. And I sat down I looked at my old professor and everyone had to go around the room and what they were most excited about, about the work. And so everyone's like, oh, I'm so excited to be a better actor. I'm so excited to do this. I'm so excited to do that. And then it came to me and I looked at Dawn McCarty is her name in the face. It was at the National Voice Intensive. And I looked at her in the face and I said, Dawn, I'm so excited because for the first time ever, I'm here as a human being and I'm not here to get an A plus from you. <laughs> she like clapped. <laughs> She was so excited because she had been telling me that for years. She was telling me like, you, like, you need to stop doing this for my approval. Mm. And that crushed me. She was telling me that for years. She, every single time we, we would do some work together, I'd go to her classes. She would say that, but I didn't understand it until I came out of it. And I was like, Oh, these are my strengths. This is what I'm really good at. And now I can walk into the room and with knowing what I bring to the table, actually bring it to the table. I love that. Instead of leaving it outside the room and being like, oh, what does anyone else, does anyone need anything? Water, anything? Like, mm. you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So you get to this point where you're feeling absolutely done, fed up. 
you have been confined by the rules of society, the opinions of others for far too long, you reach this tipping point where you start to almost rebel and question everything that dictated who you were and how you showed up in the world. And that included some of your closest relationships. What was that process like? Oh, yeah. It's so funny because I always tell my clients, I'm like, get ready, get ready for the moment because it does feel like you're in a little cocoon. It feels like, because you question everything. It feels like at the end of a movie that you just watched and you're like, what just happened? (laughs) And you're trying to deconstruct it and you're going to figure out what's going on. You feel like you're in this dark cocoon and you can't feel your way out and you're just wondering what everything is. And you start Googling if they were didn't understand what other interpretations were. Yeah, exactly. You're like, what did everyone else think? I'm so confused. (laughs) And so I think that's super valuable too. Like I started questioning, um, I was actually in a relationship, a super long-term relationship. And I remember going over to his house and interacting with his family and how they interacted with each other. And that was one of the first moments that I was like, I think I'm codependent. <laughs> like I just like looked around me and I started doing research on these things. Like I started to see how people interacted with each other. And I was like, Oh, that person just said no. Mm-hmm. What? Like you can say no to people. Like what is this? <laughs> like I was so confused or I look at sorcery. I, yeah. What sorcery is this? Like you just said no to someone asking you if you wanted to go do this thing for them and like help them move or something. And you said, no, that's not going to work for me. And you didn't even like justify or like create a whole story. What? (laughs) What is this? And so it's funny because then you look around and you're like, whoa, there's another way. And then you start to say, whoa, what way have I been playing in my whole life? And you start to question every single thing. And so it's the little micro moments, I say, where you start to look around you and you start to see what you're consenting to. And you start to see what you are an active participant in. And that was the hardest thing to do is take radical responsibility. I'm still doing that right now, by the way, is taking radical responsibility of seeing dynamics and relationships that you are not happy in Mm. and having to say, whoa, how am I consenting to this? And how am I playing in this game? Well, it takes a lot of courage to be able to assess really who you are and how you're showing up. And if it's not the way that you want to be, than to have the bravery to say, okay, well, what's got to change? Mm-hmm. hundred percent. It sounds like a truly humbling experience, but in your book, you share how you hate the word humble. I so, hate the word humble. <laughs> can we talk about that for a second? Yeah, I would love to. So why do you hate it so much? It's so funny. I have a tattooed on my butt, if anyone's curious. But um, the whole concept of humble, when I was writing my book, I started to ask people, like, why, what, what is the biggest fear around walking in in a job interview? And, like, primarily women, to be honest, um, walking into an interview and saying, yeah, I'm really good at this. Or I work best under these circumstances. Mm. Or, yeah, I actually excel at my job when these things are in place. Or this is what I need in this moment. And people would say, well, no, you have to be humble. Or like, you can't do that. Or just, oh, I feel really good today. Or I feel like I look really awesome today. I'm really feeling myself. People say, no, you have to be humble. You can't do that. You can't say that. You can't ask for that. 
that's entitled, that's this, that's that. And there's a difference between performative confidence and actual unshakable confidence. Mm. And performative confidence, I like to say, is dragging ball Zing out your energy, trying to prove something, like dragging ball Z, like shoving it at people, right? <laughs> trying to prove something, trying to make yourself into something, not because you're actually confident or that you trust who you are or that you are really proud of who you are. It's because what if someone sees that you're not as great as you think you are? And that's not actual confidence. That's performative. That's let me show up and fake it till I make it. And so that's oftentimes what people associate the word humble with. Like you have to be more humble. But when people say that, it's oftentimes associated to you have to dim that down a little bit. Like that's a lot of energy. You have to like dim it down. You have to take it down a notch. You can't say that you're that great. Like because you're going to make someone else feel bad. Like it's so suppressive. Where when you look at actual unshakable confidence, it's this expansive energy that is magnetic. Like people walk into a room with nothing to prove and no one to impress and they feel good that day. Like they're, I, I always compare it to like when you walk into a room and you just like are having the best day ever. You feel amazing. You, your favorite song came on the radio. You're wearing an outfit that you feel super hot in. Like, and you just walk into the room and you just exist because you just feel awesome and you want to share that energy with other people because you have nothing to prove and no one to impress. You just are captivating within that space. But oftentimes people associate confidence, not with that, with that, just like nothing to prove, no one to impress because that's terrifying. Oh my gosh, you, you don't want to impress me. Then I can't control you. Right. So performative confidence is oftentimes what is actually associated with the word humble. And what, that's why I don't subscribe to it. And that's why, um, even though I love that talk by Kendrick Lamar, I have a joke in the book where it's like, don't listen to Kendrick Lamar, listen to me. Like, don't be humble, don't sit down. Like, actually stand strong in who you are. Oof. Okay, so you don't care much for the word, but the energy of it flows through your veins. Totally. And it's, it's very much like how the word is oftentimes used. It's used in such a context of a martyr. You know what I mean? Where it's like, don't, don't brag. Don't be too excited about what you're doing. Don't be, because you're going to make someone else feel bad. But it's when we all feel fabulous about who we are, when we all feel really good. Like, have you ever been in a room and you feel awesome and someone's like, I feel really good today. And you're like, right, me too. And I'm like, wow, <laughs> you feel good, then I can't feel good. And I was feeling good, but now that you feel good, now I can't feel good. <laughs> no. But when you feel like shit and someone's like, I feel amazing, you're like, oh, I want that. I hate that you have that right? So it's just a different context and a different use of the word that I think society links it to something other than what it actually is energetic. So good. So you are this jazz hands first, sparkly, full of color, extra human being. And for a long time, you were petrified that because of that, you would be perceived as unprofessional. You touched on this briefly a little bit earlier, but now you are literally teaching a course called <laughs> unprofessional and you help women own their extra. What does owning our extra look like? Mm, I love that. Unprofessional is one of my favorite courses that I teach because the things that we are taught that are unprofessional, I'm just going to go on a little mini tangent about that word. Same with the word humble. It's like, <laughs> when I start to question these things, like this is where this course came out of and that's where the book came out of. I just started to question everything around me and like, 
why do I feel this way when people use these words? Like, what is the connotations behind it? And like, how do other people see this word? And how do other people see this construct? And even with the word unprofessional. So I've never actually had a quote unquote professional, like, idea of a job. Like I've never actually worked in a corporate environment when I worked in an office environment, which was for me just did not work, (laughs) but it was for a children's theater company. And I was working on campaigns for a nonprofit and all those things. And I've never actually had a job that's like quote unquote professional, but there was this idea of what professionalism is in every single environment. And it was so subjective. So when I worked it as a make as a makeup artist, it was like the most professional quote unquote thing that you could do is have the most wild makeup ever. Like that was super quote unquote professional was to have the this eyeshadow that was super bright, super purple and, and whatever, and show your artistry and show your tattoos and show your hair colors. And then I had another job where I worked in an office environment and the most professional thing you could do was wear yoga pants and a hoodie because you didn't want to be seen as like standing out too much hmm. and then the other professional thing was being an actor and like you have to wear clothes that you can roll around on the floor and cry on and and all these different things right because you have to be versatile but when you go into auditions the idea of professionalism is completely different as well and so it's interesting because I started to see all these different um, realms of occupations that were quote-unquote professional and then I started to see people with personal brands that wanted to show who they were, who all they wanted in life was to get paid for being themselves, but basing every single part of who they were off of a subjective idea of professionalism that was from a previous job. It was from someone else in a corporation or someone else in a certain environment saying, well, you know what? It's unprofessional to show your tattoos. Or it's unprofessional to speak the way that you speak. You have to speak in this way instead. Or it's unprofessional to write a book that the first line says, yo, what's up and welcome to the show, right? (laughs) First line of my book. And it's like, it's unprofessional to do all these different things. And so what we do is we get so afraid of being quote unquote unprofessional because we associate the word unprofessional with unreliable, not willing to put in the effort, but we think that that word unprofessional is actually associated with, oh, what, what do I look like? How am I dressed? How do I speak? Instead of actually being in integrity with who you are and showing up for what you're here to do. Mm. So, I mean, there's obviously a whole course dedicated to unpacking yeah. <laughs> this, but if we were to just scratch the surface, I mean, for someone who is really starting to accept the fact that they may not fit the traditional professional stereotype, but that they have so much value to bring and that if they only had a little more guidance, they could bring it to the surface. What advice would you have for them? Mm, My advice would be, I'll give like a three-step thing that I would give. So first and foremost, find everything and anything in your life that brings you overwhelming amounts of joy that feels easy that feels incredible that's first and foremost like what makes you feel amazing oftentimes it's like when i wear this or when i am doing this specific hobby or something like that and that's just little clues that your life has given you for who you really are and then my second thing that i would give is ask yourself in what areas are you avoiding that and why? So it's like questioning everything. 
right? So that's the second step question. Why, why don't you go into a, your office space or whatever? And this is something so small, but it's like, and wear bright, super bright lipstick. Well, because the last time I did this, this person said this. Okay, cool. What did they say about that? And how did it make you feel? Well, it made me feel like I wasn't welcome there, that I was too much or something like that. Okay, cool. So are you holding yourself back a little bit because you feel like you're too much in, for that space? Well, yeah, okay. And then the third step that I would say is in every single decision and mo micro moment, you have a decision where you can either shrink or you can expand. And so the third thing would be in those moments where you feel like too much, where it feels scary. And we were talking before we hit record on like rejection, where you feel like you may get rejected, that you feel like on some level, someone will not be okay with what you're about to share or show. And this could be anything like bringing up certain topics to your family or setting boundaries or whatever. It's like anytime that you feel like you cannot speak up, you cannot show up, you cannot share who you are. Ask yourself why, what person, what idea, what experience is holding you back from that. And then you have a decision where you can either consent to that or you can expand to get really used to and being okay with the fact that not everyone is going to be on your team. I really, really love, I mean, I love all of it, but I particularly love the last point because yeah. one of the first times I saw you speak what you made abundantly clear is that when people consent to being in your energy, whether that is working with you, with you as their coach, whether that is hiring you as a speaker, whether that is simply following you on social media, when they consent to being in your energy, they are consenting to all of you. Yeah. Which oh, is so, yes. so powerful. I love that so much. Um, that was a process and an understanding that I actually like. I love that you right. love your own quote, Danny. Oh, right? I know. I was like, I got chills. Don't be <laughs> humble. Like, yes, I love it. <laughs> I know. I'm always like, that's good. Who said that? I said that's great. Um, but even that, it's like I have to constantly remind myself, like, yeah, all my only job in my life is to be me, is to live my life. Everyone else is either consenting to it or not. And that's okay. You don't have to prove. You don't have to justify. You don't have to bring that person over to your side. You just have to focus on being you. And if they don't want to be a part of it, they can always opt out. Which I think is, is such an important life lesson, whether that's with a colleague, whether that's with a family member, is that we have the decision to opt out at any point. And it's not our place to tell people how they should live, how they should act, how they should be, how they should show up. And if we have a problem with it, then we are the issue and we can unsubscribe at any moment. Yeah. I always say like, what are, if, if something pisses you off on your social media feed or pisses you off when you are in a conversation or pisses you off in a friendship, it's like, what are you consenting to? You don't have to say yes. You don't have to say yes to someone else's emotional drama. You don't have to say, oh, that was really good. I forgot about that. I'm going through a situation right now with a friend where I'm like, I don't. That's right, Danielle. <laughs> it's not. It's a process. You have to constantly remind yourself, like, I do not have to consent to this. I don't have to say yes to this. If someone creates a, a, a circumstance or an environment where you feel that you can't be yourself or you can't speak your truth or you can't even start a conversation or or unpack something further and someone's just giving you a wall. It's like, 
you can walk away from the wall. You don't have to keep trying to break it down. Yeah. So important. I was actually having a conversation with Diana Iskander. She's a love coach. We've had her on the show before and we were talking just the other day and how they're, you know, a little bit of a different context, but I think the, the core lesson will, will resonate. But we were talking about how in relationships, there are certain triggers that, um, you know, something will happen with our partner and we get upset or we take offense or we are quick to anger or to judgment. And this isn't to justify by any means what that person may or may not have done, but to recognize why does this upset you? Why did you get angry? And if someone living their truth, displaying their confidence, owning their extra upsets you, you best check yourself. Like what's going on beneath the surface that that would bother you so much. And it's funny because there's one part of my book that I talk about shushing and it's that it's like shushing, like shushing someone is an energy and it's also like an active action. And so Sometimes when we are sitting in a space, like to be shushed feels awful. Like if you've ever been shushed, you're like, ah, like, excuse me. Also, oh my God, what did I do? Also, oh, can I make it up to you? Like, it's just such, <laughs> such a chaotic feeling. And like, I have that one chapter called don't shush me because it's just like such a chaotic feeling. But looking at it on the other side is I've coached so many shushers. I've coached so many people who are like, whoa, I shush people. And the reason why is oftentimes because they are so unsettled. There's, there's like a chaotic energy around them where there's a lot of energy around them and they don't have the capacity to hold their own energy, let alone someone else's. And this happens in relationships too. If you ever have a partner that shuts down, it's like, yeah, they can't even hold or process their own emotions right now. They don't have the capacity to hold and process yours. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. And oftentimes that's when we have someone who shushes or that's where we have someone who says, oh, I can't handle you right now. And on the receiving end, you're like, what? Like, I'm hard to handle? You're not. That person doesn't have the capacity to hold your energy right now and actually has nothing to do with you. And that's where we have to deconstruct that idea of like, my emotions are hard to handle. Who I am is too much. Or even body-wise, like my body takes up too much space in this world. Like all of those those ideas, anything that tells you how you should take up space in the world or tells you that the way that you take up space in the world is not okay, question it. So how in those moments where you're not only questioning what's happening, but you're questioning yourself, am I too loud? Am I too much? Did I say something that was offensive? And you kind of replay these thoughts in your head and you relive the experience a million times over Mm-hmm. How do you continue to confidently own who you are in that headspace? Ooh, I'm going to give you my favorite ever three-step process. Are you ready? I don't know. I think so. Oh, it's so good. I do this all the time. So this is a three-step process that I teach. And um, if people want to know more specifically about like processes like this, this is like a turn up the truth thing. So this won't be like an unprofessional thing. This is like a turn up the truth thing. Okay, wait, just before we get into there, so that for those who aren't familiar with your programs, unprofessional is a course and turn up the truth is another one, if I'm not mistaken. Another course. Yes. But that was all about emotional intelligence. So this is a turn up the truth thing. And so we have a whole module on this, but that I'm giving you, I'm giving you the deets right now. So get ready for it. If anyone has a pen, you might want to grab it. 
This is real good. So <laughs> um, step one. So this is my three-step process to deal with any type of feedback. Feedback is uncomfortable emotions, getting shushed, um, someone saying that they disagree with you. For me, I used this whole three-step process when I was editing my book because I had an editor who didn't think I was funny. And like, come on, you've been on a podcast with me. <laughs> I'm a hoot. Also, I think I'm way funnier than, I don't care if other people don't think I'm funny. So I'm like, excuse me, ma'am, I'm super funny. You should like reread this book but she did not think I was funny she did not see my humor she did not agree with what I was teaching which was very interesting I'm actually very thankful for this because it made me stand even stronger in what I teach and there was just a lot of things going on and so I felt all the feelings and all the feedback and all the questioning of every single insecurity I've ever had around my intelligence around my humor around if I was offensive or not around my own intentions, like everything that you could imagine. Imagine getting a document emailed to you with everything in your heart poured into it and having someone literally email you everything that they disagree about how you feel. That was that process. So <laughs> you can use this for anything. And I use that for like 300 pages of that. So first step is that I always say, is you check the source. So any feedback that you get, check the source. This is a good example would be, let's talk about my whole mom seeing my website and being like, this is not, I wouldn't buy from this, right? So that would make me feel gross at the time, right? That makes me feel, oh, like she said, I'm unprofessional. She says this about me. This validates all these fears or everything that I've been told growing up, or maybe no one will buy this program because the website, like all those ideas and fears will swirl in your head. But before you let it get too far, you need to check the source. So where is the source of this feedback coming from? And I'm going to teach you how to do this for feedback that is unwanted, unwarranted, and stuff that you don't have to change anything about. And also checking yourself in moments where you can be offensive, in moments where you might say things that you don't realize has harmed a specific person or group of people. Like, I'm going to show you how to use this in both ways to really own what you're saying, stand in your truth, and also not be a dick. So <laughs> that's really what this is about. So the first, right? Like, yeah, I think it's, it's really valuable to do this. So first step is checking the source. So in an instance where my mom is like, she's gonna be so she's gonna be like, stop talking about me on podcast. But <laughs> when she's like, looks at the website, she doesn't like it, all this stuff. I could go into that shame spiral, or I can say, okay, so my mom said that this website's too much. So is she my ideal client? She's someone who I want to buy from me. No. Is she someone who has ever had an online business? No. Okay, cool. So though her opinion is valid in a human way and I recognize and value and I can hear her out, the, the source doesn't check out. The second step, and this is really also important, is to check yourself. So in this specific instance where someone says something shitty about something that you're doing, you check the source. It doesn't check out. You're like, okay, for what I'm trying to do and what I want to create in this world, this actually like does not connect. Great. Go back to your values. Go back to what do you believe in? What do you want to do in this world? What do you, what are you creating that website for? Do you love it? Awesome. Are you obsessed with it? Yeah. Cool. Do you know that this is going to speak to the people who you want in this program? Yeah. Awesome. Cool. 
this is stuff that I wish I would have talked to pass out about. <laughs> like, do you love it? Yes. Cool. The third step is adjust accordingly. So do I have to do anything in this instance? Do I have to change this website to meet the standards of my mother? No. Okay. So what needs to be adjusted? Nothing. What needs to be adjusted is that I need to trust myself more. Cool. So that's the next action step. And so it's check the source, check yourself, adjust accordingly. So in the other instance of cool, I say something, this is a really good, I'm going to give you a real life example from my own life and checking myself. So a term that I used to use a lot of the time, um, and I've stopped using it because of this, that I didn't know the connotations of some of the things that I say, and I will say the word, and it's just to reference something in my book that I physically changed. And people on this call probably have been like, whoa, I didn't know the history behind that word. And that's probably why. <laughs> it's because no one talks about it. It's a part of pop culture. And the word is butthurt. Now, when I wrote my book, and I'm fully owning myself for this, and I will tell you why it's super problematic. When I wrote my book, I had a chapter where I had used that word in context of saying, well, don't get butthurt or something like that about whatever. Not thinking anything of it, thinking it's completely innocent, whatever. I submit it to my editor. This is where my editor was really awesome at calling me out about problematic things, which I super appreciate. So I get an email back and she says, do you know the history of this word? And I say, no. She said, this word normalizes male rape. And I said, what are you, what, what? I've been using that word for years. What are you talking about? I was like, what? And so she sent me a bunch of sources and she sent me things that um, were in reference to the word and the origin of the word. And I was distraught because in my head, I'm like, for someone who isn't so inclusive, for someone who is such an advocate for the LGBTQ plus communities, for someone who has spent their entire life trying to be the best ally possible. I can't believe I missed the mark on this. And so in an instance like that, because there are instances, and I think it's important to be as detailed as I am right now is because a lot of the times the things that we say can be problematic and we need to own it and we need to own our partner. And we also need to educate within that as well is just what I believe. And so when I got that, I checked the source, right? Like, yeah, this is 100% valid. Cool. Like, I got all this feedback that made me feel gross, that made me feel like I had let people down, that made me feel like I myself was problematic in so many different ways. And owning that and owning that shame and owning all that, whatever processes you need to do when you get called out like that, awesome. Step two, check yourself. Go back to your values. What do you believe in? Does that correlate? No. What needs to happen next? Well, I owned it, number one. Number two, I continue to educate on it. And number three, I took out all of that from my book and any content that I see online ever that has that word, that has something that I like, have like actively put out into the world, I either do one of two things. I change it and delete it, or I star it and I add to the bottom and say, this is an old post. This is this word. This word is used in these different contexts and I didn't know at the time, blah, 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 and like use it as an education tool. And it's not perfect, but like that's how you use this process for both ways because I think it's really important, especially right now in the political climate and like where we're at to recognize and take full responsibility and also take action and like adjust that as well. And I know that got so deep and so intense really fast. Now. Yeah. 
I think it's important to talk about. It is. It is important to talk about. And what I think it really underscores is the importance of professionals, whether you associate with the term or not, but as a woman in business, as a person in business, we have to continuously evolve. And I think there's a a myth or a common misconception that as coaches, we don't make these mistakes or that we have it all figured out. And it's not a mistake if you're willing to check the source, check yourself and readjust accordingly. As long as you are evolving and bringing people for the journey and helping them to better themselves. Uh, I think it's, you know, that's what it's all about. But where, what I think is really important is that you bring to the surface that you're human, that you're still going through these things in real time. Like these are your teachings and you are still in some cases your best teacher. Oh, 100%. I think that oftentimes happens too with our work is like the reason why we're masters at it, the reason why we can talk so frankly to it, the reason why we can teach on it and like don't, can't shut up about it is because we live it every day, every single day. It's like on the forefront of our minds and it's what we're constantly mastering and, and processing and working through. And for me, it's creating safe spaces for people's self-expression. And in order to do that, I have to check myself <laughs> every single day and adjust accordingly. So for those who have their beliefs and their value system in check who are thinking it's about damn time I cast the opinions of others aside and really show up as my unfiltered self. What is one thing that they can do immediately after listening to this episode that will help them own the heck out of who they are? Go get loud, turn the volume up. And like, that doesn't mean that you walk into rooms yelling, or that doesn't mean that if you have a personality that is more introverted, like you can't do that. That it's an energy. It's being okay with being witnessed, being seen and being heard. And that's the thing is like, be okay with being heard, be okay with being recognized, be okay with being seen and own it. Oof. Powerful. What a way to wrap the episode. Danny, where can people find you so that they can learn more about who you are and how they too can get off their ass and into their own lives? <laughs> I love that. Um, you can go ahead and find me on Instagram at Danny Driuso. If you're a TikToker, find me on TikTok. I'm really obsessed with TikTok right now, guys. So that's also Danny Driuso. And you can find me on my website, DanielleDriuso.com. Awesome. I will be sure to link those in the show notes. Danny, it was such a pleasure having you on the show today. Thank you for taking the time. Thank you so much. Friends, thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of The Catalyst with Samantha Chris. If you like what you heard, be sure to leave us a review and subscribe so you never miss an episode. Until next time, I hope you're feeling a little more equipped to lean into the unknown and take inspired action.